say, well, me, I'm my own man. I'm the captain of my own destiny and so on. We need to leave that behind. That's a dead horse. We need to start to consider ourselves to be God's servants and He is our master. We must start to consider that we are His purchased possession. Folks, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I attempted to begin a three-part sermon series entitled, My Three Sacred Vows. Now, I began the series with an introduction. And the introduction ended up being the sermon. And so I had to leave things right there as they, they were. Now, today I want to pick up where I left off. So if you want to see the introduction, you'll have to go on our website and go back two Sundays and watch the introduction. It was a good introduction. Um, but I believe with all my heart that these three sacred vows, if any Christian will make them, seriously make them, they will change that Christian. We know the gospel changes lives. You know, it's easy, relatively easy, for an unsaved person, someone who's not born again, someone who's not part of God's family on their way to hell, it's easy for an unsaved person to just say the words of the sinner's prayer, to mouth them and not really mean them. It's one thing to profess Christ. It's something else to possess Christ. There's a big difference. And it's similar with these three sacred vows, it would be easy for any Christian to just spout off these vows. But for the Christian who will sincerely make these vows in their heart, they can count on some exciting changes, some wonderful things. We call it a transformed life. Transformed like how a little creepy caterpillar spins the cocoon and then comes out a beautiful butterfly. That kind of transformation. Think about your life today. Do you feel more like a caterpillar crawling along or do you feel more like a butterfly flying in the sunshine? Think of your Christian life. Where are you at? And if you are interested in going from a caterpillar to a butterfly, that's for you. You can do that. These three sacred vows will help. Now, in my message two Sundays ago, my introductory message, I was very careful to spell out God's three-step plan on how it is we can become part of His spiritual family. A lot of people today are laboring under illusions about this, and they think that if they keep the Ten Commandments, then they, they'll get to heaven. If they keep the golden rule, now for those who aren't sure what the golden rule is, uh, they say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they, they say that Jesus said that, and he never really said that. But they call it the golden rule. Some people make a joke and they say, he that owns the gold makes the rules. <laughs> that's, that's just a joke. God makes the rules. Uh, but if, um, if we will come to the Lord with a sincere heart, repenting of our sin, trusting in Jesus Christ, we will be born again. It's God's promise to whosoever will. God is not making things up. He's, it's not a game he's playing. And so if someone play, prays with a sincere heart, they will be born again. They'll experience the wonderful new birth into God's family. 
And you know, after you're born again, you know, you hit yourself and say, why didn't I do this sooner? Why didn't I uh, repent of my sin sooner? Now, most Christians, I think, just about every Christian, as far as I can figure, understands that the weight or the onus uh, of salvation is in God's hands. He has provided everything we need. God himself left heaven, came to earth, died on an old rugged cross. He died and paid what you and I owe in the pit of hell. And now he makes us the offer of eternal life. And he put it in the person of Jesus Christ. Whosoever hath the Son hath life. Whosoever hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's as simple and easy as that. And most Christians will realize that our part in salvation is simply to repent and receive Jesus Christ. That's our part. That's what we do. A free gift is something that you receive. It's not something you pay for or it ceases to be a gift. You don't pay for when people give you a birthday gift. Here, let me pay you for that. A Christmas gift. Here, where's my wallet? Here, I'll write it. You had a check. You never do that. You would insult the person giving it to you. You know, it's true, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means to die and go to hell. But have everlasting life. That means to be with God forever. Everlasting life starts here, the moment you receive Jesus Christ. That's when everlasting life begins. One day, we will see the the, the fruit of all this when we get to heaven. But I think most Christians realize that the, the cost of becoming a, a child of God lies mainly with God. Good. Now, not every Christian realizes that the cost of a transformed life lies mainly with us. This is where we come now. You say, well, what do we do? Do we do a bunch of good works? No, it's not quite that way. The best way I know of explaining it, a transformed life can happen by making three sacred vows. These three sacred vows will change you. I can promise you this, money back guarantee. If you sincerely make these three sacred vows, your life will change. There'll be exciting new changes. You'll go from that caterpillar to a butterfly. That's quite a change, isn't it? When you see that creepy little green thing spin its cocoon and then after a period of time it starts to come out, it's no longer a caterpillar. What happened to it? Where did the caterpillar go? There's now a butterfly. Well, that's how we get butterflies, right? They start off as caterpillars. How do we get Christians with transformed lives? How do we get these Christians that just remind us of Jesus and they seem to breathe heaven's air and they seem to have a golden touch, if you will. Where do we get them from? Where do they come from? Well, they come from caterpillars. From Christians who are dissatisfied with crawling around in the things of the world. They want more. They want more of God. They want a transformed life. And so, these three sacred vows. Now, it's been explained different ways over the years. But this is how I will explain it. So, starting today, I am going to begin to give you my three sacred vows. I'm not going to give you all three today. I'm going to give you one today. There's far too much to put into one message. So I am 
spread it out over three messages. So I'm going to encourage you to be here this Sunday, the next Sunday, the Sunday after, and you'll get all three vows. But I think even from today, you will see the potential of what I'm talking about. And what I'm talking about is not some theory that I read in a book. What I'm talking about is something that I've proven with my own life. I've been a Christian 46 years and I've made so many mistakes as a Christian and I wish so many times I could go back and correct some of my mistakes. <laughs> if you ever figure out how to do that, let me know. I'll be your first customer. But as far as I know, we can't go back and correct things. But we can stay here and correct the faulty thinking or the faulty behavior so that we have a better tomorrow. Having a transformed life will give you a better life. It's like giving you a, a new life. There are so many people today in the world very dissatisfied with their lives. God wants to give us a new life. And that's exciting news. So what I'm sharing with you are things that I've learned and I've proven true and they've transformed my own life. I'm telling you, if you had known me I, years ago, you would have said, whoa, who are you and where did you come from? What caterpillar or at least what, what leaf did you crawl out from underneath? <laughs> it is true. Now, I'm not about to boast and tell you that I live a perfect life because I don't. It's still being changed and made more like Jesus. But these three sacred vows have had a profound effect on my life. And maybe there's someone here today who's interested in a similar thing, to have a transformed life. And so I want to share with you the very first sacred vow. First, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we bow once again at your throne and in your presence and we acknowledge that we are hungry people. We have hungry hearts to know the true and living God and to know the way of life. Father, it's possible there may be someone here today who's not yet born again. He or she has not yet taken the, the time to repent and receive Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today they would do that. Father, I pray for those who are saved. I pray for the people of Grace Baptist Church. I thank you for each and every one of them. And Father, I pray you would continue to grow our faith, grow our love for you. Father, grow our church. Please bring into our church good-hearted people. Help us to grow so that we can produce more fruit, so we can get involved more with missions around the world and do greater things for you. Dear Father, protect Grace Baptist Church and all of the people. And Lord, if there be um, ills and spills and hurts and harms and things, Father, heal those things up. Father, I also pray for the days we live in because we're not out of COVID. It's still there, still happening. Now with new variants, protect us, Father, and give us wisdom and maybe wisdom with a little common sense, a little more hand washing. That sure wouldn't hurt. Father, I pray for our government. Our government, by and large, consists of men and women who do not know you as Savior. Some do, but most do not. Father, I thank you for them and I pray that you'd grant to them wisdom. Help them to minimize mistakes because they're human. Lord, put a hedge of protection around them. Don't let the devil lead them in a horrible way. Protect our country. We have a wonderful country. Protect it, Father. 
give the leaders the wisdom they need. And so, dear Heavenly Father, give us wisdom today to make a good decision. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Okay, folks, the first vow, the first sacred vow I want to share with you, it's called service. Service. It means to serve God. Now, would you say that word with me? Service. Service. So we all know what we're talking about today. It's the sacred vow of service. And what we're talking about is serving God with our lives. That's what we're talking about. Us becoming God's servant. Do you consider yourself God's servant? Would you like to be God's servant? Wherever you might be working or living, would you like to be the servant of God? Would you like to consider yourself God's right-hand man or the, the maiden of the Lord or however you want to put it? Would you like to consider yourself that way? Because God is interested in that. God is interested in, in all his children, but I think he's specially interested in those men and women who say to him, Lord, I'd like to do more. I'd like to serve you more than what I'm doing. And in so doing, we become servants of God. Now, it may sound simple, but there's a little more to it. We become servants of God by making a vow, V-O-W, a vow to God. You say, what is a vow? A vow is a solemn promise made to God. That's what a vow is. Normally, when people get married, at least in this country, uh, it's typical for them to make wedding or marriage vows. And hopefully, they'll stick with those vows all the days of their lives. It doesn't always happen. But the idea of vows in marriage is that we're turning our back on all others and keeping ourselves just for this one special person. And we make the vow before God and before witnesses. And so what I'm talking about today is starting or beginning to serve God more than you serve yourself. If you had a servant, and by the way, some of you have had servants, haven't you? You've had servants. If you had a servant who never listened to you, never obeyed you, never did what you wanted done, what might you be tempted to do with that servant? maybe the idea of a servant is to serve and so if you and I are going to be God's servants we must give some thought to this hmm. maybe God isn't our servant maybe we need to be God's servant and so the sacred vow of service means that you start you begin to make a, a change a shift Perhaps up till now, the person you've served most has been yourself. Maybe your family has been second. Maybe your boss has been second or third or something. But where does God fit in? And being God's servant means a change. You're going to start to serve God more than you serve yourself. I don't think any one of us here today, and I would include myself, I don't think any one of us can 101% serve God and not ourselves. Because folks, let's face it, we're human. We get up in the morning and we feel hungry or something, we're going to serve ourselves. We're going to get something to eat. We're tired, we're going to serve ourselves, we're going to lay down. So we have that human factor we're going to have to live with for the rest of our lives. 
but we can make an intelligent decision where we start to serve God more than we serve ourselves. That's the essence, what I'm getting at, in the sacred vow of service. So I'm not asking you to come to the altar on the invitation and sell the farm and just give everything you possibly have to God. I'm not saying that. Although I will say this, some Christians in history have done that with amazing results. But all I'm saying today is that what we need to do as a church family, what I encourage you to do, is to make a decision today at the end of this sermon that you will start to look for ways in how you can serve God more than serving yourself. And it begins with a mental attitude of serving God. I'm God's servant. Okay, God, what do you need done? What would you like me to do? It's a process where we go kind of from doing nothing to doing something. And so this is, I think, key. Now, it took me, believe it or not, years. <laughs> Maybe I'm a slow learner, and I'll admit to that. But it took me years to understand this is the primary vow to a transformed life. I want to have a transformed life, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you want a transformed life? So you're transformed more like the beauty of Christ, His passion, His wisdom, His purity, rather than just maintaining what you've already got. I want a transformed life. And it took me years to realize that this is the primary step, the vow to a transformed life. And just as Jesus gave His life for us, so you and I need to begin to learn how to give ourselves to Jesus. A primary way to do this is a life of service. Now, please first understand what I'm not talking about. What am I not talking about? I'm not talking about serving God for an hour each week by distributing gospel tracts on a Saturday morning. I'm not talking about taking an hour a week and working on Sunday in the nursery or working as an usher or the sound booth or anything else. But believe me, all these things are good and wonderful and excellent and we need to do them. But this is not what I'm talking about when I talk about serving God, being God's servant. I'm, I'm saying that the first principle, the primary principle to a transformed life is a mental change, a decision where I am going to start to serve God more than I'm serving myself. He's going to have a higher priority in my life than me. Now, some people will never learn that truth. Some people in the world, all they know is themselves. That's all they can think about. So I'm talking about something beyond this. The primary vow to a transformed life is to live our lives in service to God. Not one hour a week, but every day. Every day we need to get before God and we need to offer Him our lives. Every day when you have your quiet time with God, you need to make this part of your quiet time. Lord, I give my life to You. How do You want me to serve You? What do You want me to do for You today? And you say, well, what if God doesn't say anything? Well, then that's God's business, right? You just leave it in God's hands and you keep praying this. Lord, I am your servant for your honor, for your glory, for your profit. I am going to bring forth more pleasure for you than pleasure for me, more profit for you than profit for me because that's what a servant is supposed to do. 
And so, God, I'm going to be your servant. I guess it's very much like how an earthly servant waits upon his master, right? Now, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, the very portion of Scripture that Brother Howard read earlier, chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. Hmm, I wonder what Jesus means by that. He goes on, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And then he brought in the two masters. He named them. You cannot serve God and mammon. So we know who God is, but what is mammon? Mammon simply means the things of the world. And there's lots of things in the world, right? There's lots of them. Some people, that's what they live for, the things of the world. That's all they live for. And they say, thank goodness it's Friday. I'm finished with work. Oh, the weekend is here. Yay, I'm going to go you know, party and boating and going to live it up and so on. Nothing wrong with having a boat. Nothing wrong with having a little party. Nothing wrong with little enjoyment. Nothing wrong with that. But some people, wow, they really go overboard. And they live for things of the world. And Jesus is telling us, don't fool yourself. You can't do it. You can say you can do it, but you can't do it. You can fool someone else, but you'll never fool God. And deep down, you'll never even fool yourself. You cannot. It's impossible. Oh, I can do it. No, you can't. Are you calling me a liar? No, you may be deluded, but I'm not calling you a liar. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, came down from heaven and said, you can't do it. You cannot serve two masters. Because you're either going to cling to one and boot the other or love one and hate the other. Do you get the idea? You cannot serve God and mammon. And so if you're going to be a servant, you have to make a decision. Well, who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve myself? I've been serving myself all my life. What about God? Look what he's done for me. Look how much he's done for me. If it wasn't for God, there'd be no me. There'd be no, I wouldn't be saved. I wouldn't be on my way to heaven. Look what he's done for me. Maybe it's high time. Maybe it's time for me to start to serve him more than I serve myself. And that's what I'm encouraging you with today. I'm encouraging you to make a decision. Even if it's a small decision, it's still good. It's still a good decision. I'll tell you, it's always good to do good. Would you agree with that logic? It's always good to do good. When is it ever good to do evil? When? Uh, I don't know. I believe it's always good to do good. Well, what when people do evil to me, right? And I'm supposed to do evil back to them. No, that's wrong. God said for us not to render evil for evil. We're not to do it. Recompense to no man evil for evil. We're to overcome evil with something else. What's it called? Good. We're to overcome evil with good. If you start giving evil for the evil done to you, it's just going to compound. You'll never see the end of it. It'll eat you up. You know that bitterness will kill you faster than any enemy on earth? It's worse than a cancer, I think. Well, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. So what does this mean? What does it mean? How are we to live our lives with this vow of service? Well, it means that we must begin today and we must begin to consider ourselves the servants of God. Have you ever done that before? 
Or maybe you used to do it, but you got out of habit and you forgot somehow. We need to start today and start considering ourselves God's servants. Some people, they, they say, well, me, I'm my own man. I'm the captain of my own destiny and so on. We need to leave that behind. That's a dead horse. We need to start to consider ourselves to be God's servants and he is our master. We must start to consider that we are his purchased possession. If you went home today and someone was coming out of your front door holding your TV, would you say anything? Would you say, uh, time out here, buddy, but uh, what are you doing with my TV? He said, what do you mean your TV? <laughs> That's my TV. I bought that thing. I paid for it. That's mine. It belongs to me. I got the receipt. And what if he said to you, oh, well, what's yours is mine. That's a good philosophy to live by. What's yours is mine. I'll take it. Thank you. You'd say, not today. You won't. You turn around and put that TV back where you found it. Did you know that when you got saved, you got purchased? God purchased you. Oh, he did. What did he use to purchase me with? Now, does anyone here know what God used to purchase us with? What was it? The blood of Jesus. We have been purchased with the most precious commodity, far more valuable than gold and silver that perish. God purchased us with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how much he had to pay. That's not how much we're worth. <laughs> That's how much he had to pay to ransom us. I mean, the devil was holding us. And God had to pay the greatest price ever paid, right? If God could have paid for your soul by giving Satan a handful of gold and a handful of silver, don't you think he would have done that? If all it cost to redeem your soul so you don't have to go to hell, the devil's got you, God is going to redeem you. And if God could do it with material things of the world, don't you think he would have done that? But that's not what it took. It took the blood of Jesus Christ to save your soul and mine. The highest price ever paid by anyone for anything was the death and blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what it cost. So if you're enjoying the benefits of being part of God's family, you need to realize something. It didn't happen by accident. God the Father made a a purchase price for you. You belong to him. You are his purchased possession. Now that's a startling truth for some Christians. They haven't realized that yet. God actually owns me? I thought I was a, a free-willed individual. Well, to some degree, God has given you your free will. But in reality, he's purchased you. You belong to him. And by the way, thank God for it. Because that's part of the basis of security. If you had to maintain your salvation and keep yourself saved, you couldn't do it, folks. You can't do it because the moment you have your first dirty thought, your first bad word, the first broken promise, the first time you take something that doesn't belong to you, I mean, you've lost. You've lost your salvation. How many sins did it take Adam to fall? from a state of purity into sin. How many sins? How many? One. And what was it? Murder? Who'd he kill? 
Was it murder? Did he rob a bank? Huh? Was it uh, something to do with child pornography? Boy, that's a hot tomato these days, isn't it? What did, what did Adam do? He had a bite of fruit before dinner, sort of. He, he took something God said not to take. But the tree's full of it. And he's not going to miss one little God said not to do it. And he did it. That's all it took. He disobeyed God one time. And you mean to tell me that even after you're born again, you've never disobeyed God? You mean to tell me with a straight face you've never committed a sin after you've been saved? Ho, ho, ho. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Praise the Lord, you and I are a purchased possession. That's the basis of security. It's not us hanging on fearfully to God, hoping against hope we don't slip and fall into hell. It's God holding on to us. The very basis of security is the fact that he bought us. He's got the receipt. It's called the blood of Christ. And so as Christians now, we need to change our thinking. All right, start today. Begin to realize you're a purchased possession. The devil used to own you. Now you've changed owners. Now God is your owner. Aren't you glad? Amen. I'm so glad he is my owner. I'm so glad. And I rest confidently in my owner's hands. And so the key, the key is to start, to begin to serve God more than you serve yourself. I'm reminded of a Christian man. He's dead and in glory now, but his name was R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau was really a, a wasted kind of a life of a guy, but he had a good heart and he came to know the Lord and he got into business, uh, into making machinery that, to move earth. And he, he did a good job at making these machines, these big earth-moving machines. And he really felt he wanted to honor God, so he started tithing. He started tithing his income. That means giving 10% of your income to God by faith. And God always blesses that. He always does. The devil will tell you otherwise. The devil will put it into the head of some backslidden Christian to tell you don't tithe because God doesn't bless that anymore these days. That's Old Testament law. That is not true. That is still New Testament. And I can show you that even from the book of Hebrews and from the Gospels. I can show that to you, but not now. R.G. Letourneau started tithing. God started blessing him. His business started growing. So we started thinking, you know, God has done so much for me. I want to do more for him. I'm going to start giving God 20% of my income. And he started doing that and living on 80. He was giving 10 and living on 90, but now he's giving 20 and living on 80. And God continued to bless. And he got more business than he can handle. And so he said, God, I'm going to start giving you 30%. And he started doing that. 30% and living on 70 God continued to bless. He gave 40% and lived on 60. Now this is over a period of years. God continued to bless R.G. Letourneau. He started giving 50% of his income to God. And he would give this and support missionaries worldwide. He was beginning to give millions of dollars every year. And God was still blessing him. He gave 60 and lived on 40. God blessed. He gave 70 and lived on 30. God continued to pour 
upon him blessings. He gave 80 and lived on 20. Still God opened the windows of heaven to him. He gave 90% and was living on 10%. And it was still far more than what he needed. And near the end of his life, he gave it all. He gave 100%. And God still looked after him. A man of faith, a simple guy, a guy that worked with his hands, cried out to God so many times for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. But you see, he, he looked upon himself as a servant of God. You won't start today and give 100% to God, but you could start today and give 10%. Now, not just of your money, but of your time, your talents. You want to start to be a servant of God? Well, start thinking like a servant. All right? I'm going to start to serve God more than I'm serving myself. I'll start seeking His pleasure, His profit, His glory more than my own pleasure, my own profit, my own glory. This is the mind of a servant. It took me years to understand the ramifications of this and the fact that it is the foundational principle to a transformed life. If you want your life to start to really open up like a beautiful flower, or change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. This is where you need to begin. Start with a mindset. Take your Bible, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And please look at verse 19 and 20. I'd like you to read out loud with me those two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Read it out with me now. And you folks at home, please read it out, out loud with me as well. Here we go. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Does it get much plainer than that? We're actually His purchased possession. This is the mindset of a servant. And this is why we sing songs like, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. You see, that's why we sing songs like that is because of this principle right here. This is why Jesus taught us in prayer to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's this very promise, this very principle right here. I like to call this the vow of service, but you could, I suppose, call it the vow of purpose, meaning the very purpose of your life. But make no mistake, whatever you call it, this is foundational. This is first. This is basic. This is the numero uno principle to a transformed life. It begins with a decision that you're going to start to learn how to serve God more than serving yourself. There's an interesting story told about a father who took his boy to McDonald's. And he wanted to spend some time with his son. So he, he went... In line, he bought him, his son, some french fries. And he sat down at the table and the boy was all excited. And he put the french fries in front of his boy and his boy was so happy and he'd take french fries and he had some ketchup and he'd dip a french fry in some ketchup and he'd eat that. And the boy was having a good time and the father was so happy. 
And then the father decided, maybe I'll have one of those French fries. And he reached over to take a French fry. And right away, the boy slapped his father's hand and said, hey, those are my French fries. Well, the father had his feelings hurt. I mean, who wouldn't? The father, the boy hurt his father's feelings. And the father started thinking, why is my son so selfish? Doesn't he realize that I'm his father? I, I brought him into the world because of me. Doesn't he realize that I'm the one who brought him here to McDonald's? Doesn't he realize that I'm the one who paid and bought those french fries? I got the receipt right here. Doesn't he realize that? Those french fries really actually belong to me. Doesn't he realize that if I wanted to, I could buy him a whole table full of french fries if I wanted to? Why is my son so selfish? Now here we have a story of a boy who's mainly concerned about what he can get. What's in it for me? And yet, folks, you and I, God blesses us with a life. He blesses us with a job. He blesses us with cash flow. And then when God asks us for 10%, do we slap his hand and say, hey, that's my money. A servant knows he's the purchased possession of his master. That's where this change of thinking has to come in. If we want a transformed life, we have to start thinking it through. Well, what does it mean to be a purchased possession of God? How much ownership does that give God? What should I do? How should I live my life? If I'm going to be God's servant, how should I behave? I think that this is the first principle. Back in Bible college, I stumbled upon John 3.30. John 3.30 is a great Bible verse. And you might want it as a life verse. I took it as my life verse all through my years of Bible college. It was the words of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist spoke of Jesus and said, He must increase, but I must decrease. Say that with me. He must increase, but I must decrease. And that became my theme verse all throughout my Bible college years. And I think it served me well. It still serves me well. But that's the idea of a servant. He must increase, I must decrease. R.G. Letourneau God must increase, I must decrease. The truth is, if God's not everything in your life, then he, He's nothing. If you are everything in your life, then God is nothing. We must learn to become nothing so that He can become everything. That's the thinking of a servant. Every, every great Christian man or woman with a transformed life, every single one of them. And I challenge you to check me out on this. If you know of a godly Christian man or woman with a transformed life, I mean, they're just, it's as if Jesus were walking in their shoes. You found out how they got that. 
Jonathan Edwards was one of the greatest preachers of the 1700s. Tremendous man of God. But he, how did he get there? He, he got there because he came to a point in his life where he, he vowed to God, he resolved before God that every bit of Jonathan Edwards there was, he would live his life for God. D.L. Moody was one of the greatest preachers of the 1800s. How did he get such power in his preaching, in his ministry? He resolved that all there was to have of D.L. Moody, that God would have it. And this sacred vow has been the same for every famous, if I can use the word, Christian man and woman. Certainly true of the missionaries. William Carey had that mindset. Adoniram Judson had that mindset. David Livingston, George Mueller, Hudson Taylor... Jonathan Goforth, Jim Elliott, they all ha- and thousands more all had this similar mindset. He's the master, I'm the servant. I believe that every great Christian realizes the lordship and ownership of Jesus Christ in their lives. They realize this. Every great Christian has given their body to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. Well, again, as long as you and I are something, then it means that God can't be everything. Now, some good news here, folks. As we give ourselves to God, listen to this. God delights to prosper His servant. That is absolutely biblical. Write this down. You don't have to look it up, but I want you to write down this verse. Psalm 37, sorry, Psalm 35, verse 27. Psalm 35, verse 27. I'll read it to you. Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now, today, prosperity amongst that word amongst in Christian circles is badly, badly abused. A lot of the wild charismatics are using it to talk about personal prosperity, getting rich, 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 millions, more millions, more millions. Ken Copeland, Kenneth Copeland is a big prosperity gospel preacher. But what he means is, riches for me, riches for me. The guy's worth Estimates put him at around $700 million. But hey, even if they're off by $600 million, come on now. <laughs> what, is, what does anyone need $100 million for? But he boasts, he revels in his riches because he's taken a good Bible word and he's used it for selfish, sinful purposes. And this is wrong. We call it the prosperity gospel where they're not really preaching a true gospel of repentance from sin and receiving of Jesus Christ. They're, they're talking about get rich quick in the Lord. And that's not the kind of prosperity the Bible speaks of. You see, that verse in Psalm 35, 27. Let the Lord be magnified that hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. If I had a servant working for me, I would do everything I can to help him to be a better servant. To be able to bring forth more Pleasure, more profit, more glory for me, his boss, if I had a servant. I would take pleasure in helping him 
to be a successful servant. And this is the meaning of prosperity. Let the Lord be magnified which hath pleasure in the prosperity of a servant. The truth is God will prosper you as his servant. Not so that you become rich, rich, rich. But so that you become fruitful, fruitful, fruitful. And God will fill your life with exciting things. So many Christians, they say, Oh, I wish I could do something for the Lord. I wish my life counted for something. Listen, start today with the first sacred vow of service. And God has promised, he has bound himself to his word that if you will be his servant, he will send you prosperity. God loves to make his servants prosper. King David was a godly man and God made him prosper in his job as servant of the Lord. God made David prosper to become king over the whole land. In um, Psalm 18 verse 1 and Psalm 36 verse 1, it specifically says, David, the servant of the Lord. David experienced a transformed life because he made a similar vow. Lord, I am your servant. And God blessed him and prospered him because of that. In fact, he said in Psalm 61 5, for thou, O Lord, hast heard my vows. There's the vow again. And I believe that one of those vows would have been the vow of service. In the same Psalm, verse 8, So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. And God made King David to prosper. The Apostle Paul made a similar vow. In Philippians 1.21, he said, For me to live is Christ. That's the vow of service. His whole life, Paul's whole life, he was one maybe that was able to give 101%. He said, for me to live, to breathe, my heart beats, to, to, to live is Christ. It's all about Christ. So it can be done. And then he said, and to die is gain. And I believe that Paul is, has cashed in in heaven. And he is incredibly wealthy in heaven and is enjoying the fruits of his labors for some 2,000 years now. He's an incredibly wealthy man. The wealthy men of this world usually are, are not always, but many of them are evil. They're liars. They're cheaters. They've used underhanded means to get their wealth. Not all of them, but a lot of them. But then what happens? They die and they leave it all behind. And someone else picks up their wealth and it corrupts them. But God delights to prosper his servants. It's very important. Um, you're in Corinthians there. Turn over to Philippians, would you please? Just to the right, a few pages. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see something, and it involves, it involves Timothy. Remember Timothy in the New Testament? He was Paul's understudy. And he would travel with Paul. And Paul loved him greatly. And Timothy made a similar kind of vow where he would be God's servant. You see in Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Now watch, for I have no man like-minded. So Paul is saying, no one has the same mind as me. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Verse 21, For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus, which are Jesus Christ. 
So he's telling us right here, it's a normal, natural thing for people to look after themselves. Paul said, I'm looking around. I'm looking around for people with a like mind as me who will look after the things of Christ. I'm not finding them. I, I got Timothy. He's it. And I want to send him to you. So Timothy seems that he also made a sacred vow of service. And so therefore, I got to come to an end here. The first sacred vow is service. It must become a daily vow with you and with me. It means that, listen to this, you're not just an employee at the company. Are you ready for something? You're God's servant in that company. You're not just an employee anymore. That company you work for, you're not just the, an employee. You're God's servant there in that company. If you're a teenager, you're not just a, a teenager in the home. When you become God's servant, you become God's teenage servant there in that home. You're not just a teenager. You're God's teenage servant in the home. You see how exciting it can become. You become God's servant when you submit yourself to become God's servant. God's not going to force you to be his servant, but he'll bless you incredibly if you decide to become his servant. I think it's very, very important. Every day in my prayer closet, I start by making my vow, my three vows actually, but my first vow of service. And I reaffirm that before God. Today, Lord, I give you my life. My body is yours. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you more than I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to be your servant. And I do that. And even this morning, I lay on my face before God and I made that sacred vow. And in fact, I started to sing a little song. I will serve thee because I love thee. You have given life to me. How many have heard that before, that song? That's a number of us. Written by the Gaithers. I was nothing until you found me. You have given life to me. Maybe we'll sing that one Sunday morning. How about that? That's a great little song. And I sang that to the Lord from my heart because I really meant that reaffirmation, that daily vow that I am God's servant. You can do the very same thing. You don't have to be in full-time ministry. You can make a vow like that to God. You can do that. A sacred vow of service is the first step toward a transformed life, transformed into his likeness. Now, folks, we're done. Listen carefully. In a moment, I want to invite you. If you want, I want to invite you to come up to the altar and stay here because we're going to pray together. You can do what you like, but I want to invite you to come and join me at the altar. Every year in January, we have a dedication. Consecration Sunday is what we have. First Sunday of every year. And we invite everyone to come forward and consecrate themselves to the Lord. Well, this, what I'm talking about today, is something like that, which we did in January. Only I'm suggesting you make it a daily vow to be God's servant. Make it a daily vow. Thank you for watching the message today. 
We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.